You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our sermon this morning, which will be from Psalm 122, a song of ascents. Let's read together from 2 Samuel chapter 5, the first 10 verses. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact before them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. On that day, David said, anyone who captures the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward. And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Thus far, our reading from Second Samuel. Let's turn also to Hebrews, to the New Testament, chapter 12. Page 1,877 of your pew Bibles is where you'll find Hebrews chapter 12. Here, as we continue to read the word of the Lord, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could not, he could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? 
At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our text this morning is Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There the thrones for judgment stand the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this morning we come to Psalm 122, the third Psalm in the songs of ascents that we've been working through over the past number of weeks is psalms which speak about the journey, the journey of the pilgrim to Jerusalem, beginning in a faraway land in Meshach, Kedar, far away from the city of God. Psalm 121 has our pilgrim traveling under the Lord's watchful care. And here in Psalm 122... We have the destination, Jerusalem. These psalms are very, they they resonate with the experience of traveling. And this psalm has that same characteristic. And I wonder if you've thought about traveling, especially during this past week, when as it's supposed to be June, it's felt more like January, And perhaps your mind went to warm and sunny destinations where you would have much rather preferred to have been at this time. Do you know that experience of heading for a a midwinter break? As you pack your bags and you, you hop on a plane or you hop in your car, you can already smell the beach. You can already feel the sun. You're not there yet. But you know where you're going and already that experience is beginning to become yours. And then as you step off the plane, you're in an airport, you're on some busy street, but that doesn't matter because you've arrived at your destination and you're already participating in that relaxation, rejuvenation, sometimes rehabilitation that you have so much been looking for. And so as we come to Psalm 122 this morning, we arrive with the pilgrim at his destination, destination Jerusalem. Though he's just arrived at the city and he says, our feet are standing in your gates. He already has that, that giddy joy of, of being fully immersed in all that Jerusalem is. For him 
as a child of God. He's already basking in the wonder of God's presence. He's already anticipating the privilege of God's praise in the assembly. He's already resting after his long journey in the security of God's peace. As we gather for worship this morning, we have a sense of what this pilgrim was experiencing, what David was experiencing as he came to Jerusalem and as he captures the the thoughts and the feelings of the pilgrim arriving. Now that earthly Jerusalem is no longer our destination. We have a heavenly one. We are on our way to the heavenly Jerusalem, yet though we are not fully there, we have already arrived. What do we mean? Well, Revelation chapter 21, we have the new Jerusalem coming from heaven, coming down to earth. We know that that is where we are not yet, but we know that that is where we're going. But yet, if you back up to Hebrews chapter 12, which we read together, then we know that we have already come to it. We have already come to the new Jerusalem. We have already come to the heavenly Zion. We experience the benefits and the blessings of it already now, even though not yet fully. We still wait. We still anticipate. We still hope for the fullness to arrive. Is that not exactly the experience of the traveler? Is that not exactly the experience of the pilgrim as they arrive at Jerusalem, not yet fully there, but yet already participating in in the joy that their destination has to offer? And so we really and truly do live in the joy of our destination. Destination Jerusalem. Jerusalem is our destination. And Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the place of God's presence. It's the place of God's praise. It's the place of God's peace. That's what we'll have our attention this morning. Jerusalem as the place of God's presence, praise, and peace. David begins this psalm with those memorable words. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the destination of worshiping pilgrims already in the law of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 16. God had prescribed that all the men of Israel three times a year were to go up to the the center of worship where the tabernacle was and celebrate the festivals. Every year they were to make that pilgrimage. They were to make the pilgrimage to celebrate the festivals. Now we need to realize that as David writes this psalm, the experience of, of the pilgrims going to Jerusalem is actually a relatively new one. Because Jerusalem had not been an Israelite city until David conquered it. We read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 5. 
And Jerusalem was not the place where the tabernacle was was finally settled down and where later the temple would be built until David himself brought the tabernacle to the city of Jerusalem. And so as he writes this psalm about Jerusalem, this is all pretty fresh. It's fresh for him. It's fresh for the people of God. David has just conquered it. But having conquered it, he recognizes the strength of this city. He recognizes that this is the place where the worship of God is to be centralized, where the rulership of of God's people is to be centralized. And so Jerusalem becomes the city of David. Even more, Jerusalem becomes the city of God. David brings the tabernacle there. He builds the palace. He makes plans for the temple to be built. He secures the walls. Jerusalem becomes Mount Zion, the holy city. And what's important about Jerusalem and what this psalm so much focuses on is the experience of corporate worship that this city and this place made possible for God's people. This psalm emphasizes very solidly that Jerusalem is the center of corporate worship for the people of Israel. And so it wasn't like the people of Israel couldn't worship God elsewhere. That's not the point. But going to Jerusalem, gathering all together there was a special experience. Going to the house of the Lord was a special experience. That corporate and communal character of worship is a special experience. And so that must be in our minds this morning and that must be in our hearts May it already be in our hearts this morning as we consider this psalm and we see that it applies so much to exactly what is going on here today, this morning and this afternoon as we gather together for corporate worship. It's not as though we can't worship God elsewhere. It's not as though we don't worship God in it with every aspect of our life, with everything that we do in this life. But there is something special about gathering together, all together as congregation, to worship the triune God. And so when David hears from others planning their trip to Jerusalem, he rejoices. And and this is what happens when those who sincerely worship the true God get together with their minds set on worship. They rejoice together. It's contagious. The joy of one is compounded by the other and the other and the other. And as we all come together, our joy grows exponentially. We rejoice together as we say, let us go to the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is the place of God's presence. The house of the Lord is the place of God's presence. The worshiper is going to Jerusalem. They're not exactly like those travelers going to a sunny destination. That is, they don't rejoice simply because of their destination. No, it's the presence of God that causes them to rejoice. 
Jerusalem was a city. Jerusalem was a special city. But what made it special and what caused the pilgrims to rejoice as they spoke about coming together and going to that city was because that is where God had his presence. That is where God dwelt with his people. The presence of God among his people causes them to worship. We need nothing else but to know and to believe that God is present among us. And for the people of the Old Covenant, coming together to worship God in his tabernacle was to come into the presence of the Lord. The tabernacle and then later the temple was the place where God chose to dwell among his people. And he chose to dwell there both for for the distance. He, he maintained his holiness. There were all these rules and regulations about how you could approach the tabernacle, how you could approach the temple, how you could come before God and worship there. But also to show to the people that he was among them. He was right in their center. As they traveled, the tabernacle was right in the middle of their camp. David saw that Jerusalem was perfectly situated for the tabernacle later to be right in the center of their country. The tabernacle was where God had his presence. When the tabernacle was completed in the time of Moses, God descended upon it in a cloud. He showed that his glory filled it. And it became for for him and for the people of Israel, the place where he dwelt among us. Well, we no longer have a tabernacle. We no longer have a temple. Where is the presence of God among us? Well, the place we come to worship God is in Christ. Christ is our temple. Christ is our tabernacle. It is in him that the presence of God is among us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredibly rich, this new covenant that we live in? The people used to have to travel, sometimes from long distances to Jerusalem, to come to the presence of God. But Jesus Christ became one of us. He came into our presence. We have the presence of God among us at all times as he gives us his spirit. God has made his dwelling among us, his people. And as we gather together for worship, we experience that in a beautiful and a special way. As we gather together, not simply as a congregation, Not simply as a bunch of people, but we gather together as the body of Jesus Christ. We gather together in Jesus Christ. And so God is present among us. How much does our joy increase from being here? From Look around you. Look around you. These are not your friends. These are not merely your family This is the body of Jesus Christ. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ with whom as we come together, God is present among us. And so this time of worship is a special time because of the building that we're in, 
because God has called us to be together. Because we are together in Christ. Because we are the body of Jesus Christ. So this time on Sunday becomes a special time for us to join with others as we come into God's presence. The presence of God in the tabernacle caused joy and worship for the pilgrims. But when God came and made his dwelling, that word is used in John 1, made his dwelling among us. It means that God came and and made his tabernacle among us. God built his temple among us when he sent Jesus Christ. God came and, and lived among us in the person of Jesus Christ So that the center of God's presence moved away from the temple and to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has become our temple. And as we unite with him by faith through the Holy Spirit, we become in Jesus Christ the place where God lives, where God's presence is. God makes his presence among us that our hearts might be stirred to praise. We move from the presence of God to his praise. As we've already said, Jerusalem, as the city of God, was a a relatively new experience for the people of God. And we've already read also in 2 Samuel 5 that when David conquered that city, he didn't just leave it as it was, but he immediately began to build it up to strengthen it. From the outside in, he built up the city of Jerusalem so that it would become the center of his kingdom and the center especially of worship in Israel. And that's what David describes there then in verse 3 when he says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That word for closely compacted is used elsewhere to describe the, the stitching that happened in the curtain of the tabernacle. So you got a curtain and you have to stitch it together. And so it's a, it's a long, you have to be very careful about how you do that. It's a very tight stitching. Jerusalem became like a, a city like that. It was tightly compacted together. It was well put together. It was made with care. It was very secure and safe. It was well built. It was strong. David was often engaged in military battles. He was constantly fighting against his enemies all around him. He knew the importance of a safe and a secure city. But the architecture that he speaks about when he says that Jerusalem is built like a city that's closely compacted together is simply a metaphor for the deeper and more significant thing that was happening in Jerusalem as the people were gathering together, as they were coming together, as they were being sewn together, finally, well, tightly, like the curtains in the tabernacle. David's point in this psalm isn't so much to to praise his great building projects in Jerusalem, but he's showing that that close construction of Jerusalem is representative of the unity that has now come to the people of God in Jerusalem. And for the people of Israel, this too was a new and a wonderful experience. 
David talks about the tribes of the Lord, the tribes going up, the tribes of the Lord. If you would go back in your Bible before the time of David, if you were to read through the judges, especially, and even in in 1 Samuel, you would realize that these tribes of the Lord did not always get together or get along very well. They fought. They fought like brothers. And they fought worse than brothers. If you read the book of, of Judges, you'll find that they, they faced, as that book goes on, increasing disunity, fracturing and fighting. These were tribes with, with a broken past, with troubled history. But yet, David said, now they begin to come together. Now they're coming, all of them, with that broken and sordid past, coming together to Jerusalem to become a tightly knit and unified community. It was because of the presence of God in the temple and because of their godly king and because of that covenant relationship that God had established with them that they were being united together. Well, in the new covenant, Jerusalem... We are ruled by a godly king. We are blessed by a new and greater covenant. And we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so the new Jerusalem has become the new center of unity upon the earth. And it is to be a picture of unity in this world. And it does not matter where we gather together. This unity is a part of what we are. It is a part of who we are. Whether we gather together in Langley or whether we gather together in Beijing or Rio de Janeiro or Kampala or wherever, unity has become the trademark of the Christian church. As the creeds have expressed from the very early times of the New Covenant Church, she is one. We are to be one. We are to be united. The church, the new Jerusalem, is where the tribes are to go up and be united in worship. And is this not what happens in the church of God? Is it not happen, is it not what happens on a large level when Christians of all tribes and tongues gather together? There are no borders in the church. There are no passports. There are no There is no room for division along lines of of nation or race or sex or financial well-being. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And there are countless examples and pictures of where people have come together to be united in worshiping the true God who by their own history and by their own nationality or by their own race would otherwise be opposed, be enemies. The church of God is where enemies come together to be united. And on a closer level, even among us, this is what happens. As husbands and wives, children and parents, friends, and yes, even enemies, can experience true unity Through our great King, Jesus Christ. We might come together with a broken past. 
We might come together with a troubled history. But through Jesus Christ, we can be united. And only through Jesus Christ can we truly be united. In Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sins. Is the forgiveness of that broken past. Is the washing away of that sordid history. So that we can be. So that we are. So that we must be truly and deeply united together. Jerusalem is where God's people come together to worship God. But unity is not worship. Unity forms the basis for worship. In worship, we must be united. For worship, we must be united. If we cannot be together in Jesus Christ, if we cannot be together in Jesus Christ, how can we lift up the name of the Lord together? In Jesus Christ, all those barriers to unity are gone. They disappear. In Him, and in Him alone, through His blood and through His Spirit, there we can find reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness, hope, and strength altogether. And so, united in Jesus Christ, that is where we come together to praise the name of the Lord, to praise the name of Yahweh, the covenant God. We must be united, but at, but we are united so that we can come together and to worship God in what Jesus Christ has done to bring us together. That is what stirs up in us the desire to lift up the name of God, to praise Him. Look at what He has done. He has forgiven us our sins. He has brought us together. He has redeemed us. And so we worship God together. And we worship Him freely and joyfully and willingly. Remember verse 1, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Yes, the work of Jesus Christ also stirs up that joy within us. But as we worship, we also worship obediently. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, the men of Israel were commanded to come together three times a year for the festivals. They were commanded. You have to go there. doesn't matter how you're feeling. doesn't matter what's going on. You need to be there. It is commanded. Be there joyfully, freely, willingly. The command didn't change that free and joyful, willing character of worship. In fact, that command created the context for free and joyful and willing worship. God knows his people. God knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows how prone we are to stumble. He knows how prone we are to look somewhere else and to find importance in something else besides worshiping him. He knows how prone we are to serve other gods, to create other idols and follow after them. And so it's in his covenant love. And it was in his covenant love that he ensured that his people would gather together in verse 4, according to the statute given to Israel. 
He commanded them to come together in unity to praise his name. And it's the same for us. God knows us. And that's why he commands us to gather together to worship him. Hebrews 10 verse 25. Do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is the call that we answer as we gather together in worship today and every Sunday, morning and afternoon. In his word, the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to worship together on the Lord's day, to gather together under his word. We are to rest in him as we rest from our daily labors. And so, brothers and sisters, let us continue to gather together for worship. God commands it. But God's command is not to negate the the free and joyful and willing spirit of worship. It is to create a context in which we might do that. God commands us to come together under his word so that each week we might be refreshed and renewed in our faith in Jesus Christ. So that we might hear of the forgiveness and, and every week again be stirred up in our hearts to praise God through him. Let's continue to gather together in unity and praise God with joyful hearts, freely and willingly. Because this, the church of Jesus Christ, is where he is enthroned, where he rules and judges. David says in verse 5, in Jerusalem, where the presence of God is, that's where the thrones for judgment stand. That's where... The thrones of the house of David stand. What David's saying is that he wants to rule under God. He wants to rule in a way that's consistent with how God rules from his temple. The temple and the palace were built right beside each other. David built his palace knowing where the temple would be later built. And he did that because he wanted the ruler, the ruling of God's people to be very closely connected with the worship of God. True worship goes hand in hand with right rule. And true worship goes hand in hand with obedience to the Lord. When we gather together in corporate worship, we do so under the rule of our King, Jesus Christ. We worship in submission to Him. We acknowledge Him as Lord. And so together, in obedience to our Lord, we praise God. We also, in doing all of this, coming into his presence, praising him, experience his peace. As we looked at Psalm 121, we realized that that psalm, though deeply comforting, is also deeply challenging. In this psalm, we have that same experience. David speaks in high and lofty terms of Jerusalem, of the unity that is experienced in Jerusalem. And so we need to ask, is this what we experience today in Jerusalem, in the church? Is church history often not more of a depressing subject when you look at it 
That was, has often been my experience. You look at the history of the church, what's happened in the church, how God's people have acted in the past. It can get very depressing. It can be very dark. There's a strong humanness, sinfulness to it all. That's because of the times that we live in. That's because we are in the new Jerusalem, but we have not yet arrived there finally, completely and fully. We live in so many blessings of the new Jerusalem, but we are not yet there. And that is why, as we come to verse 6, David says, pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace is not merely the absence of war, but peace is a a deep biblical theme that speaks of of wholeness and completeness, of, of safety and security and freedom. David says, pray for that for Jerusalem. And he did, didn't he? And the people of Israel did. Already in in the next reign, the reign of Solomon, they experienced that peace. And with Solomon's reign, you get a sense of what that peace was about. Solomon wasn't fighting wars, true. But there were so many other blessings that came to them as a result of that peace that came over the nation of Israel. They had unity. They had justice. They had security. There was peace in Jerusalem. And so, that's a picture of what we are to pray for. We are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that those who love Jerusalem may be secure. We are to pray for the security of the individual members of Jerusalem, the individual members of the church. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? In the church, so many blessings. But yet there is constantly so much still to pray for, for the security of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We need to pray that they would continue to find security among us, that this would be for them a safe place, that the preaching of the gospel would be for them what they need, that they would find security within the walls of Jerusalem. We need to pray for security for the individuals, but we also need to pray for wellness for the whole. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. The health of the whole church living in obedience to Jesus Christ creates the context for well-being among the members. So we need to pray that the church as a whole would be at peace. When there's strife in the church, it's the individuals that get hurt. That's why David says, for the sake of my friends and my brothers, I will say, peace be among you. It's for the sake of your friends and your brothers and sisters that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is troubled and the pilgrim loses heart, if there's disunity in Jerusalem, And the pilgrim's heart does not rejoice so much as they go to the house of the Lord. If the church is divided or troubled under attack, then it's a harder place to come, isn't it? So pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the security. Pray for the wellness of Jerusalem. Prayer 
is your link between what is and what will be. We are in the new Jerusalem, but we are not yet fully there. Prayer is your link between what is and what will be. Affected by what is, we are motivated to pray that God would move us along. We become motivated by brokenness to pray for healing. Hurt by the pain, we pray for relief. Threatened by war, we pray for peace. And one day we know, through Jesus Christ, the building of Jerusalem will be complete. Until then, let us continue to seek the well-being of the church of Jesus Christ, living by faith, working itself out in love, filled with hope. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, may those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. It is as we consider our brothers and sisters, our friends, that we pray that there would be peace within your church here and abroad. It is for the sake of your great name of the person and work of your Son, of the presence of your Holy Spirit, that we seek the prosperity of your church. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.